Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We worship you. We love this hour of our week. We love Sunday mornings. We love that song can stir our hearts. And we love that hearing other people sing songs can stir our hearts. And now our hearts are ready to receive the the bread of life. Man does not live by bread alone, but instead by every word that comes from your mouth. And so God, we are here. We want to listen. When you talk, we listen. So we're here to listen to your word. Lord, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. The black Bible there in the pew in front of you, page 965 in the pew Bible. I preached through the whole Gospel of Luke several years ago, but we're in between series right now. Uh, We finished 1 Peter three weeks ago, and so now we can preach on whatever we want to until we start the next series. And you remember last week I preached on uh, something different. And so today we're going to look at uh, Luke 18. The reason why is because I want, to, I want us to hit hard on what our mission as a church is, on preaching the gospel, on proclaiming Jesus. And this passage today is about as good as it gets. This is a, a parable that Jesus tells, meaning this is a little story that Jesus tells to help us learn the point. This is an illustration that Jesus is giving, and illustrations are really good. It's almost every single week that I come here and I preach, and I, I tell you all this stuff about what the Bible says, and I tell a couple stories, and y'all always remember the stories. Y'all always remind me about the illustrations. I don't know if you remember the points that I make, but you do remember the illustrations, and that's just the way God has made most of us. And that's the way Jesus taught with parables. This is a parable here today, and the emphasis of this parable is how does somebody get right with God? How can somebody be justified? How can somebody be saved? How can somebody know that they're going to heaven? That's the big question we all ask anyway, and that's what this parable is for. But he does it by way of showing us how two different men pray. It's very interesting. This is a good passage. If you don't know the passage of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I encourage you to learn it. It's short. It is only five or six verses. It's really good. But I want to preach on it today, not so much because y'all may not know this passage, I think that you do, but because I want to really emphasize what we're about and what we're wanting everybody we come into contact with to be about. Our mission statement says, it's on the front of your bulletin, right in the very center, it's on a big, nice, pretty picture thing when you walk in. It's on a big, nice, pretty picture thing when you walk in this way. If you're walking down the hall, it's on that really big picture thing there. Our church has a mission, and it is this. We exist to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. That is simple. There are no words in there that are big. There are no words in there that are technical or even ultra-theological. That is a simple mission statement. You don't have to be a Christian very long to understand it. You don't have to have a college degree to understand it. We have our very being to proclaim Jesus to people. 
It is in the DNA of your pastor and therefore our church that we would want people to know about Jesus. We want to tell people about Jesus. That's our goal. But we don't just have a little goal of we tell people about Jesus. And so we do that sometimes lazy, and sometimes we do that passionately, and sometimes we do that rudely, and sometimes we do that uh, overwhelmingly. No. We have a way in which we want to tell people about Jesus. That's why our mission states a little bit longer. While, which means while we are doing something, we are proclaiming Jesus. While we are proclaiming Jesus, we are doing something. And that is loving and serving both God and people around us. If anybody knows that you are a part of First Baptist Church Fairdale, I hope they say you are such a loving and serving person to me. And if anybody knows that you're a part of First Baptist Church Fairdale and you're not loving and serving to them, then we've got issues. We really do. We're not representing God right. And that's not the way a church of God should be. So our mission is to proclaim Jesus. We want to tell people about Jesus, who He is, and what He's done. We want them to understand rightly how good He is, how good He is for people, that hallelujah, what a Savior He is. We want people to know that about Him. We desire for people to know Him. Well, this weekend we did our 24 hours of prayer. We've done that a couple times before. It is just an, an awesome event. It's not something that should overwhelm anybody because we just ask you to sign up. Uh, for an hour. It's fantastic. I, I met here at a couple different times to pray with groups and finding people to be able to show up at midnight or 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. is a little bit tougher. You know, sometimes those third shifters or UPSers or people like that uh, prefer those hours. But we did it. And I was here, I think, from 11 to 1 Friday night. And I like to get a bunch of the young people together. You know, they kind of thrive at midnight, sadly. They love an excuse to go buy a monster drink to come pray, don't they? They love that. Uh, so we meet up here and we prayed. We, we sat down there and we prayed together for two hours straight. It was awesome. None of them uh, hated it. None of them thought this was weird or awkward. Many of them had never prayed out loud before. Um, we're learning. We're teaching them. But as I sat around talking, as we sat around praying, I got up at one time just to take a picture of it because I liked that moment. I think there were eight of us there. And I got to thinking about that, that picture. Four of the eight uh, had been Christians for a while. They had either come here already as a Christian or they were Christian even before I got here or something like that. But the other four weren't. I knew them when they had nothing to do with Jesus. I knew them when they wanted nothing to do with God and His Word and His church. And yet we had seen them be told about Him. And we have seen and witnessed the changing power of when Jesus gets into somebody's life. There were people here when, uh, Friday night at midnight, young men and women here Friday night at midnight, head bowed for an hour straight, crying out to God in prayer. And I remember just years ago when they wanted nothing to do with that. We proclaimed Jesus and God used it. And may it be for as long as God allows 
the church to keep pushing forward. That that's what we remain to be about. And may you understand that being a part of this church is to be a contributor to that mission. Now God teaches us that everybody's got different gifts and skill sets. Not everybody would like to be up here this morning. Some of y'all would love to go out here this afternoon and bump into somebody on the street and say, hey, can I tell you about something and talk to them about Jesus? Some of y'all would never want to do that. God's made us all different. But together we are to be about this mission. Remember, Peter preached Jesus to everybody he came in contact with. But Peter came to Jesus through his brother Andrew. And that's the only person in the entire Bible that Andrew led to Jesus, as far as we know. Both proclaimed Jesus to people. Neat story. So today, at Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I want us to have a good understanding of what we mean when we say proclaim Jesus. There are a lot of things that we don't mean. We don't mean just invite people to church. Now, I hope you are very confident that if you invite somebody to church or bring somebody to church, they will hear your church proclaim Jesus. I hope you're confident in that. But that's not what proclaiming Jesus means. It doesn't mean just invite people to church. Although that's a good strategy. It doesn't mean that we love and serve both God and people in front of them only. We do do that, but not only. It means that you love and serve both God and people, them and God, while you are also telling them about Jesus. We want to make sure we know what it's not, and we want to make sure we know what it is. So let's read at Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He, that's Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, Jesus speaks and says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This parable is heavy. It's short and simple, but it's heavy. This parable is for religious people. This parable is for, if you will, I want to be very careful, this parable is for church people. It's for anybody that's religious. This parable is for people that wear cross necklaces around their neck as a part of their religion. This parable is for people that get Christian tattoos, if there even is such a thing. 
This parable is for people who trust in themselves. There's a lot of different ways that we can trust in ourselves. But this parable is for them. It says that in verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Righteous just means that you do things right. Now, now ultimately it means that you do everything right. You are completely right in all that you do. But nobody's that way. So if somebody trusts in themselves that they're righteous, they just think they're right. You see why it's for religious people? You see why it's for church people? We're not the ones that are wrong. I mean, if they weren't that way, the world would be a lot better, wouldn't it? I mean, if there were more people like us, right, Fair would be so much better, wouldn't it? No, no, no. This parable is for people like you and me who trust in themselves that they're righteous. Now, he says after that that this parable is for people who trust in themselves that they're righteous, who treat others with contempt. So he, he kind of says that when you're trusting in yourself that you're righteous, you naturally cannot treat people well. You can treat some people well, but you can't treat everybody well, which means you treat some people not well. Hey, I know your best friends love you, but what do your enemies think about how you treat them? What do the people that you slander think about how you treat them? What do the people with opposing political views Think about the way you treat them. What do the people who love this politician think about the way you treat them when you post on Facebook slander about that politician? Jesus tells this parable for people who treated other people with contempt. He had His eyes on them. And I think today He has His eyes on you and me. This conversation, it's a short one. It's not really a conversation, but we could say it is because it's Jesus' teaching. It's good for us to pay attention to. If you remember in Luke, one of the things when I preached through the whole Gospel of Luke a few years ago, the thing that came out was, man, Jesus is a really good preacher and teacher. And this passage today shows us that. It is short and simple. He doesn't go over anybody's head. You know, a lot of times you listen to preachers and you say, he, he, he went over my head. I didn't get it. Jesus never did that. This one today is easy to understand. He is a great, he's an excellent preacher and teacher. Verse 10. Here's where he starts <coughs> talking. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. It's, it's funny that this is how he does it because this great passage says there's two types of people. How many times do you hear that? You might see it on skits, you might see it on TV, you might see it in a joke, you might see it when you talk. You see it everywhere. There's two types of people in the world, right? Those that do and those that don't. Those that do this and those that do that. Coke, Pepsi, Pampers, Huggies. We're loves, by the way, but... <laughs> two types of people in the world. You know, this is an awesome way to talk. And I hope that you know that there's only two types of people in the world. And I hope that everybody that you know 
you are thinking about which, which type of person are they. The Bible does this a lot. It is perhaps the best and clearest way to be evangelistic. Think about a few examples. There are many, but think about a few. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there are two roads, right? You've heard of the two roads. There's a broad road that many people are on. It's an easy way to go and it leads to destruction. It's the way that says, I'm okay, I'm right. And it leads to destruction. There's two roads, the broad and then there's the narrow. The narrow road is skinny. Few people find it. It's hard, but it leads to life and joy and happiness and eternal life. Jesus says there's two types of roads. Which one are you on? In Matthew 25, Jesus says that at the great white throne judgment, at the end of the world, God will sit on His throne and He will judge everybody. We believe that. And He says that He will take everybody. He says He will gather everybody before Him and He will separate them, the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. And He will say everybody that goes to the right is saved and going to heaven. He says everybody that's going to His left is not saved and will go to hell. Two types of people. There's two types of people. If you want to view life as a journey, you're on a road, there's two types. The one that's narrow that leads to God, the one that's broad that doesn't. If you want to think of life, if you want to think of life as, uh, as the end, big picture, hey, we're all going to die and face God one day, we're going to stand before our Maker, only God can judge me, He's the judge. If you want to think about it like that, that's true. There's two sides, the sheep and the goats, the right and the left to heaven and to hell. Or what about when John is writing in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, when he says in one verse, whoever has the Son has life. But whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There are two types of people in the world. Those who truly know God those who are right with God, those who are forgiven of their sins, and those who don't know God, those who are at odds with God, those who are enemies with God, the Bible says, those who have not been forgiven. And Jesus does it here. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. How many times have you heard somebody say, two men walk into a bar? It's a joke people tell all the time, and the joke can go a hundred different directions. Two men walk into a bar. Here, Jesus says, two men walk into the temple to pray. But they're different. They are way different. One is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. They're different. Now, both, as far as I can tell, are rather upstanding. Okay, And I think that helps in the parable. Uh, both are, are rather successful. One's successful in religious ways, kind of prides himself on being this clean guy, clean cut. He thinks he keeps the straight and narrow. He does things right. You probably haven't heard him cussing somebody out. You know, you probably haven't heard him sleeping, seen him sleeping around. He's that type of guy. He's clean cut. He's a religious leader. He's a leader of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. You always see him look like he's religious. You always see him carrying religious things. He's, he's that guy, the Pharisee. The other is a tax collector. And the New Testament seems to say that tax collectors were pretty wealthy. They, they had money. But they have the reputation in the Bible of being dishonest, uh, deceptive, sneaky, dis, 
um, conniving. They would, they would use people to get more money. They, they, they were able to work their career into getting them more and more money. They could, they could use you and your money to get more money. So they had a lot of money, which means they weren't poor and lowly. They had the reputation of being wrong, dishonest, uh, uppity, judgmental, that sort of thing. So both, though, uh, are successful, but they're way different. One thinks his life is all about God. The other knows his life is not about God. In the bulletin, I've got the characteristics of the humble and the proud. And so what I want to do with the rest of the time, because he hasn't started describing them yet, I want to give three characteristics of each. And I want you to be completely honest with yourself. And I want you to ask, which one are you more like? And I'm praying and have been praying that God would break, us, break our hearts and convict us of our sins, that we would be honest before God today and turn to Him. Verse 11 says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. The first thing I want you to see about the Pharisee is his posture. His posture. Your posture is the way you carry yourself. Coach Hicks up at the high school teaches his boys to walk like this in baseball. He makes you. Head up, chest out. When we walk on the field, you better know who we are. I like that. I'm going to beat you all today. We're, we're the baddest dudes around. Now, that, that, that doesn't communicate a message. I want you to notice his posture. In the temple, praying. He's by himself He's standing up. He's praying out loud so that others can hear Him. Those things in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad. But when you think of somebody that is really broken and struggling and in desperate need of God, you would think otherwise. Notice his posture. I want to ask, why was he by himself? Does nobody else want to pray with him? Had he asked people to come join him and everybody said, nah? Had, does he know that he needs to be by himself because if he does pray about the right things other people would find out? Or is he aware of how self-righteous he is trusting in himself that it's obvious if he gets up close and personal with people that that's not the way you pray? We're going to talk about his prayer in a little bit. His posture is not necessarily one that you and I want to imitate. Now, you can't read into this too much and make a whole lot out of his posture. But I want to tell you a few other things that the Bible says about 
prayer, posture of prayer. Jesus teaches that when we pray, we should go into our closet and close the door so that nobody knows when we're praying. It's between you and God. You don't show off your prayer. If you are one of the people that get to come up here today, I think you've heard Marcus pray, you've heard Dan Pomeroy pray, you've heard other people pray, Josh Womble pray. If, if that's the most those guys have prayed today or this week, we're not hitting it right. We're not as godly as we think we are. Our posture is out of order. If you want people to hear you pray and God hasn't heard you pray, then you don't understand God. Thomas Watson says this, posture in worship is often imposture. And that's a good quote. That doesn't mean we should never bow down or never raise our hands or never sing and dance and clap. It doesn't mean that. It does mean that a lot of times the heart should be on check during that time. Posture in worship is often imposture. The way we carry ourselves in worship is often fake. Notice his posture. Secondly, notice his self-focus. He prayed. Here's his prayer. Now here's the, here's the, here's the meat of the Pharisee. God... I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That's all Jesus says. It's, it's not very long. It's not even two whole verses. It's two short sentences. That's all we hear about him, but we can tell a lot. He disguises it like it's a good thing. It's to God, and he's thankful, right? God, I thank you. Sounds pretty good. Maybe yours are that way. But after that, it goes downhill fast. In this short little prayer, he says, I, five times. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I, I, I. His prayer is so self-focused. His prayer is all about him. In him being self-focused, he is elevating himself above other people, even in his prayer. I mean, I'll admit, I do that when I'm walking around town, but we should not do that in our prayer. He's, his prayer to God is elevating himself. I mean, the Bible teaches that when you pray, we should have bowed hearts. You don't have to have head bowed, eye closed, but that's a good practice so that you're not distracted. This man must not have had head bowed or eyes closed because he's, God, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. And, and that fellow sitting over there, I thank you that I'm not like him. What a prayer. His self-focus is disgusting. He has a whole list of people that he thinks he is better than. Other men, extortioners, unjust people, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Jesus already taught earlier in the Bible that everybody who's ever lusted is an adulterer. 
He's forgotten that part. The whole Bible teaches us that nobody is just. He's forgotten that. He has himself as better than other people. Now, Jesus is so not self-focused and is so God-focused that the Bible teaches us that Jesus humbled himself below everybody. The Bible teaches us that Jesus did not think of any human being as below him. None. So you'll never hear Jesus pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. This man was so self-focused, he thought he was better than other people. According to God, church, listen to me, you and we are not better than anybody. We're not. And whoever it is out there in the world or in the community that you might be tempted to think you're better than, you're wrong. And God tells this parable to people like you or me so we would not mistake that. His prayer. So his posture, his self-focus, and now his prayer. Is this a prayer? I'm not even sure if this is a prayer. Jesus said here's how he prayed, but here's why I'm saying it's not a prayer, or it might not be a prayer. All he did was tell God things. He didn't ask God for anything, and he didn't praise God. He did thank God, but he didn't praise God, and he didn't ask God for anything. Notice. God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He's just telling God what he does. Let me ask you something. Does God know what we do? Yeah, God knows what we do. We need to check ourselves on our prayer time that we're not just telling God things. What a beautiful illustration of being redundant. God, the sun's up today. God, I got a hard week. God, I'm hungry. We spend so much time praying and we might not even be praying. Y'all ever heard people in their uh, uh, prayers sometimes quote out whole big long passages of Scripture? God's the one that said that. Now it's good to pray Scripture. But we need to make sure that when we're praying, we are talking to God, making our requests known to Him. That we are asking Him in Jesus' name. That we are confessing our sins. This is a prayer, but it is a prayer where He is just telling things to God. He didn't ask God of anything. He tells God how much He fasts. God tells us, don't tell anybody when you fast. He tells God how much he fasts, and God tells us, don't tell anybody when you fast. Even disguise it so nobody will know. He tells God how much money he gives. Who are we giving our money to? God. God knows. Now, I don't want y'all to take, (coughs) I don't want y'all to run the wrong direction with that. We give that to God through the work of his church. Yes, y'all are giving money to the church, believing that the church are good stewards of the money in the work of God. My point is that God knows. Your pastor may not know your fasting or your giving, but God certainly does. If you have an opportunity to pray, you don't need to remind Him of all that you're doing good for Him. 
I wonder if you came here this week and prayed for an hour and you didn't even ask Him for anything. You remember in the book of James where Jesus says you do not have because you do not ask? Did you sit here for an hour and just tell Him all that He's doing? Because He knows what He's doing. Did you sit here at all and did you say, God, would you do this? God, would you work here? Would you save my son? Would you save my husband? Would you fix this situation? Would you be with my wife and grow her and mature her? God, would you help me to love my family better? Would you help me to lead them? God, create in me a man that's not just a man, but a godly man, that my family would get the repercussions of that. Did you ask Him to do some things? Because here, He didn't ask God anything. And listen, if we're not asking God anything, it is sending the message to God and to us that we don't really need Him to. I'm, I'm doing alright by myself, God. If you just don't, I'm just going to do this short little prayer, this self-righteous prayer to show that I did pray. And if you don't mess up anything in my life, I'll be good because I got it under control. And then what if God makes it out of control? When we don't know God, then we run. Have you noticed that people who know God when things get out of control, they can weather the storm because God's God in the storm. But people that don't know God, when God lets things go out of control to grow us and teach us, don't know where to go because they never knew God. Their prayers were prayers like this. And they don't run to God in the storm with prayer because they were never really praying anyway. So his posture, his self-focus, and his prayer stick out to us as being not necessarily godly and Christian. Not what I want to be. Not what we should be. All right, let's move now to the tax collector. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's look at his posture. Standing far off. Why? Why didn't he just walk up in there and bow his head and beat his breast? Look how people act in there. And this, this, this hits home, doesn't it? See, if you don't read the passage, you think, well, he shouldn't have been standing far off. He should have gotten his tail up in church. We say that to people. I've heard y'all say that to people. This man was standing far off because the Pharisee that he would have been standing beside if he had gone inside was pointing his finger at him and telling God that he's better than him. Lord, have mercy on us. Amen. If we might ever, ever make anybody around us feel that way. That's why he was standing far off. He was not standing far off because his heart was wrong. He was not standing far off because his sins were so bad. He knew how to deal with his sins. We'll get to that in a second. 
He was standing far off because if he went in there, the way they would have looked at him and dealt with him and judged him and treated him was so not of God, he knew that he could get closer to God outside of the temple through going through Jesus. Amen. And the answer is not for everybody to say, well, then I don't need church. The answer is for the church to be what Jesus wants us to be. His posture is that he's standing far off and he couldn't or would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. You ever try to talk to your parents and you can't look them in the eye? You ever try to talk to your father when you're wrong and say I'm wrong? You ever had to confess your sin to somebody? It's hard. Not hard because you're dishonest. Hard because it's hard. Hard because you're about to tear up. Hard because your heart's breaking. Hard because you've hurt them. You remember when the prodigal son was making the long walk back to his father? Remember he was rehearsing this big speech because he thought his father wouldn't accept him. Remember that? Father's like this, waiting on him. But he thought, there's no way I'm going to talk to him. There's no way he's going to accept me. He's going to be so mad at me. I've ruined it all. It's hard. It's hard to get right. It's hard to go where you're supposed to look him in the eye and say, I'm the problem. And I'm sorry. That's his posture. He's standing far off. Wouldn't lift his eyes up to heaven. He beat his breast. You ever been so bothered by yourself that you just... Gosh, gosh! I've ruined it again. All I do is mess up. You ever felt your sins? You ever hurt somebody? You ever found yourself just filthy? You ever slandered somebody? You ever had your family in your house and you've been so wrong and rude and wicked and ungodly toward them that you know you're messing things up? It'll make you beat your breast. You ever been a thief? Stolen money from people? Been a tax collector where you've used your job and career to make yourself better than other people? When God reveals how ugly that is to you, you'll beat your breast. Turning to God in repentance is not bowing your head before dinner and saying, God, forgive us all our sins. Thank you for the food. Amen. God can forgive you with that prayer, but I would say most of the time He's not. His posture. Man, His posture speaks to us. Secondly, his Godward focus. He did talk to God. His eyes were bowed. His heart was bowed. And he went to God. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He went to God with his sins. He went to God. He looked to God. He knew enough about God that God could forgive him of his sins. He knew enough about God that he needed God. He knew enough about God that if he was ever going to get right or have his sins dealt with or have a pure conscience or a clean soul, that it would have to come from God. He didn't think, I've got to do something to change. He didn't think, I've got to fix this. He didn't think, I've got to do better. 
He didn't think I got to get to church. He didn't think that at all. He thought I need God. Thirdly, his prayer be merciful to me, a sinner. I was pointing out how short the Pharisees' prayer was. This one is much shorter. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Did he at all question whether he was in the wrong? No. Did he know that he was a sinner? A sinner? Yes. Did he know he had sins? Yes. Did he need God to help him or did he need God to be merciful to him? Merciful. In the word mercy you have, I deserve worse. I deserve for you to deal with me. I deserve for you to punish me or discipline me, God. But I'm praying, Lord, don't have mercy on me. Don't do it. Have mercy on me. His posture, His Godward focus and His prayer are heartfelt. and They are God-focused. And they're very different from the Pharisee, are they not? They're two types of people, Jesus says. Which one are you more like? I want to give a couple thoughts on the comparisons of these two. Talking about our good works is not as good of an indicator of our relationship with God as is talking about our sins. You hear me? Talking about our good works is not as good of an indicator of our relationship with God as talking about our sins. If you never talk about your sins with anybody else or with God, have you ever been saved from them? Are they forgiven? Are you growing past them? We all talk about our good works. Furthermore, let's say this then. Our good works are not as good of an indicator of our relationship with God as is our repentance from our sins. So the first thing I said was talking about them. Now let's just say the the, the deeds. We know more about somebody's relationship with God in seeing their dealing with sins than we ever see in seeing their good works. Our good works are not as good of an indicator of our relationship with God as is our repentance from our sins. God does not often applaud good. He does applaud good, but not as often. He does regularly in the Bible applaud repentance. That is because godliness is about the heart. Good works can be done from a bad heart. Repentance from sin and therefore humility reveals the heart with much greater clarity than good works. Have you ever said... They are good folks. They just need Jesus. They are good folks. I mean, she is a great lady. He's a great man. He just needs the Lord. Good works often don't reveal our heart. Repentance from sin, therefore humility, reveals the heart with much greater clarity than good works. Good works can often be done with people having no idea where the heart is. Good works are done all the time with a bad heart. The church rattling sin in Acts chapter 5 where the large, huge amount of money was given to the church. 
Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead in Acts chapter 5 because they gave the biggest offering the church had ever received because they lied about it. They didn't lie to anybody but God. We need to have our hearts right. Two types of people in the world. Verse 14, and we end here, says... That, by the way, those three verses, 11, 12, and 13, is enough. What an excellent teacher. Y'all are thinking, I've been talking for 40 minutes. It took Jesus three verses to very clearly show there's two types of people in the world. The issue is the heart. Look what he says in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Justified means right with God. Justified means he is safe with God. He's good to go. Justified means he will be in heaven. William Carey, in very great clarity, says, without justification, salvation is not of grace, but it is of works. But we know that salvation is of grace. God gives salvation. One might be asking, how could this man be justified on his way to heaven and the other man not? The answer is because nobody gets to heaven unless God in His free grace justifies them. That's the only way. Whether you are the Pharisee or the tax collector, whether your life looks more like that one or this one, regardless, the only way to get to heaven is to be justified by God. The Bible tells us that God offered up Jesus on the cross. God laid Jesus on the cross, killed Him on the cross, nailed Him to the cross, crucified Him for our sins. It was our sins that killed Him. And then three days later, God rose Him from the grave, raised Him up, and in doing that, anybody that would trust in Jesus can be justified. Because it is based off what Christ has done and it is not based off of what we have done. And the, at the very core of what the Pharisee got wrong is that he thought he might be right with God based off the things he's done. Good, godly, religious things never, ever justify somebody. That is why Baptists will go to hell. Deacons will go to hell. Preachers will go to hell. Baptized people will go to hell if they are trusting in anything other than the grace of God. Jesus died to save us. We hate sin because of that beautiful truth. And we should live like we hate sin. And so our prayer times should be so much more like the tax collector. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and help me to lift up everybody I embrace or I encounter because they are no worse than me. Whoever humble exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. William Carey, who I just quoted, considered the father of the modern missions movement in the 1700s. Shortly before his death, Carey said to his friend, you have been saying much about Dr. Carey and his work. When I am gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak about Dr. Carey's Savior. I want to ask you today, 
There are two types of people. Which one are you? Which one are you more like? Would you be honest that your prayers are more like the Pharisees than they are like the tax collectors? Do you ever pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? When we just sang, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Did your heart connect with that? Did God elevate you right then by taking you low and building you up by saying, I sure do. Do you trust in your own righteousness and that's why you treat people that way? Do you treat people that way and you're not allowing it to reveal your heart? And would you today allow it to reveal your heart? If you would come to Jesus praying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, you will be justified. Right with God, at peace with God, and on your way to heaven. May the Lord lead you to that today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And we love that you can teach so good. Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple. Three verses later, we're all convicted of our sins and desiring to be humbled and broken before You. Father, I pray that You would do that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.